Welcome to the Mac Emerge Podcast. My name is Teresa Chan, and with me I have Kevin Dom, Brendan Trotter, and Joanna Dida, and we'll be your podcast team. Our goal is to connect all the McMaster affiliated emergency physicians so we all get to know each other a little better. We have so much great talent and expertise in this region. We want to highlight it into one regional podcast. Each podcast features one invited guest to speak about their expertise or interests. Additionally, we will feature external speakers who have delivered regional rounds at one of our teaching sites. And don't forget about the residents. We'll be featuring stories about our residents and what they've been up to as well. All right, are you ready? Let's get started with this month's episode. Hello, everyone. It's Kevin Dong here, and welcome back to another episode of Mac Emerge Podcast. Before we begin, Mac Emerge Podcast and all of our hardworking interviewers, editors, producers, infographic, and show note designers, we all want to thank you for listening to our podcast over the past two and a bit years. If you are a new listener, we have a huge collection of amazing episodes with varying content from med ed, clinical, teaching, and resident learning related content that you should check out from our now vast collection of episodes. Additionally, if you are a long-term listener, stay tuned for more amazing content coming at you every month, and we really want to thank you for your loyalty. This past year has been a difficult one with the COVID-19 pandemic affecting all of our academic, regional, and rural centers extremely hard. Not only are our jobs affected, our personal lives, our health, both physical and mental, and our general fortitude have been impacted more than ever. We hope that asynchronous content such as our podcast has been helpful for your CPD needs. And we all wanna thank you especially all our frontline workers, our physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, social workers, occupational and physiotherapists, administration workers, our desk clerks, EAs and PSWs, and all of the hospital workers. All of you have sacrificed so much for our communities and we tip our hats to you and hope for all of your safety and well-being. One thing we do want to advocate for is that for all of our listeners to consider getting the new COVID-19 vaccine. Many of you are likely already pro-advocates for the vaccine and have possibly received this by the time you have listened to this podcast. If some of you are unsure, keep in mind that vaccinations historically have saved countless number of lives from horrible diseases once thought to be impossible to fight. The vaccines are safe and have gone through countless number of safety tests and trials to make sure it is effective for our citizens and healthcare workers. Not only will it prevent you from getting the virus, but but with enough vaccinations, we can truly reach a safe, herd immunity that will protect individuals who cannot receive the vaccine or are still vulnerable, such as our immunocompromised or elderly individuals. In times of crisis, such as now, we all need to do our part to work together, protect each other, and respect one another. Please, if you're on the fence or you know someone who is unsure or even against vaccinating against the COVID-19 virus, let's do our part to make sure everyone gets vaccinated so we can fight this virus once and for all. And to note, we do not have any financial ties with any of the companies. We're just all healthcare workers trying to make sure that we get through this COVID-19 pandemic safe and sound. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy this month's episode on, well, my most interesting case and some clinical pearls from that and in the past year and our amazing residents, Dr. Lauren Beals and Dr. Jada Fitzpatrick, where they talk about Jada's expertise and interest on physician wellness and burnout. Thanks again. Once again, thanks for listening to our podcast. It's Kevin Dong here. And 
For this episode, we just wanted to try something new. And what that was is that all of us who are working on this podcast are also emergency physicians. And a lot of us have had amazing clinical cases that we've treated, but also learned from. And that's kind of one of the main goals of actually medicine is that we want to learn as much as we can even after we graduate so that we can provide the best patient care for our patients. So for this episode, I wanted to share a case I had in early 2020. And keep in mind, this was before COVID-19 started. So a lot of the clinical pearls may have been different based on obviously our department resources and what we can and can't use during the pandemic. Keep in mind, whenever we provide information on clinical pearls, to provide a small disclaimer, we do not divulge any identifiers that may be unique to a patient so that we can avoid violating any patient-physician confidentiality. Additionally, some aspects have been mildly changed to adhere to these principles. So I'll tell you about this case and I'll kind of paint the background picture so that you can kind of imagine it in your world as well while you're listening to this podcast. It was a night shift. I was obviously alone and I was the main emergency physician on. And I got a patch that said that we were expecting a 50-year-old male who was presenting with acute respiratory distress. Obviously, you hear this and you get mentally and physically prepared. Make sure that you have your team ready and your respiratory therapist and your nurses and obviously a acute bed ready. However, at this moment, I guess what happened was that the paramedics were very close and they had essentially patched this in. And as they were patching it in, they essentially had rolled the patient over. So we weren't able to get a pretty good history, at least from the patch. When the patient rolled into our acute emerge uh, into one of our beds, he seemed like he was a very fit and actually, in fact, almost like he was a, a muscle builder who appeared even younger than his 50-year-old self. When he presented, he was in quite a lot of respiratory distress and thus we got our oxygen ready and and put on with a non-rebreather mask and made sure that we tried to help him with his respiratory support. We also thought that he wasn't able to provide a very good history because of his respiratory distress. So in my mind, I was quite concerned and was ready to also make sure that I can provide not only oxygen support, but potentially maybe needing to intubate the patient to take over his airway distress. Keep in mind, before COVID, we were able to have collateral information and people who was with the patient to come in. So luckily, his brother had been nearby when he had called the ambulance. So he had come with the ambulance and was able to provide some information. Essentially, the patient and the brother had told me that he was cleaning his Airbnb. So he and his wife maintain and operated Airbnbs or, or in at least if you're not in Canada or, or not familiar with it, essentially bed and breakfast that you can manage. And essentially his job was to clean the flat after the guests have left. Now, while he was cleaning, he noticed that he started to get acutely short of breath and he had never experienced any of this before. Otherwise, he had no chest pain and he'd had no other symptoms. And he says that he'd never had anything like this before, ever before in, in his life. Additionally, his vitals showed that he's quite tachycardic in 120 or so, and that his oxygen saturation was actually quite in the, the low 90s, maybe in the upper 80s. His blood pressure and temperature were 
normal. But something in the back of my mind just knew that something was wrong. Like he did not look good. You know, as the emergency physician, obviously after providing um, IV access and oxygen, I wanted to get a good history and obviously a good physical exam to make sure that I wasn't missing anything. And after probing a little bit about his past medical history and what medications he took and any of the other things that may be relevant to respiratory stress, such as smoking and drugs and etc., he told me that he didn't smoke, he was a weightlifter and that he had no history of asthma or any respiratory conditions in his life. He wasn't taking any puffers, he wasn't smoking marijuana. And uh, essentially his history and past medical history was pretty clean. Obviously at this time, I was trying to figure out what this was. And so I moved on to my physical exam, which essentially sounded like almost like either asthma or COPD or some kind of a reactive airway disease. So after looking at the RT, I said, you know what, we should probably just treat with beta agonists as well as, well as anticholinergics uh, as nebulizer or with uh, MDI and, and try to support his retrograde condition. And obviously we ordered some blood work, gave him a bolus of fluids and ordered a chest x-ray as our main initial investigations. An initial ECG showed sinus tachycardia, wasn't very remarkable considering initially I had thought maybe he had an SVT or a new onset AFib or something weird. Additionally, the chest x-ray showed pretty bad. What it looked like was bilateral pulmonary edema, which I had never seen something like that in someone who had swore that he was clean, healthy, and was not taking any medications, drugs, or inhalants. I was kind of puzzled and was trying to figure out what this was. After trying to figure the pieces out and uh, looking at the nurses, they're all kind of looking at me like, oh, should we intubate this guy, kind of pushing. And I think one of the nurses even grabbed, went and grabbed the RSI kit, the rapid sequence uh, intubation kit. I had wanted to probe the, the brother uh, a little bit more about what he was doing right before this incident, considering his pretty much clean medical history. Now, to the audience listening to this, what do you think this could be? Just kind of keep in your head while you're listening to this and think about what other questions that may be important to in this clinical case. Well, while I'm thinking about this, I I will continue the story. So I asked the brother what exactly he was doing before the Airbnb. And essentially he said that when he had gone to his house after he had called the ambulance because he was very close by, he had saw that he was cleaning the house. And so I asked what agents, what things they were using. And he said, and the patient was listening to this. And while he was getting the puffers, he said that he was using bleach and also vinegar. Now, listening to those agents, do you guys who are listening have an idea what this could be? Well, for me, luckily, I had done some reading about cleaning agents just randomly because that's what I do. And I remotely remember that mixing vinegar and bleach or chlorine, you can actually create chlorine gas. And for people who are trying to think, what is chlorine gas? Well, you might know that from actually world wars, especially World War One, where the German troops introduced it in the battlefield to use chemical warfare for the first time in, in human history. After hearing this, and this kind of spark went in my brain thinking, oh my goodness, this is chlorine gas. So luckily, like I said, I had known what to do. And so we treated the patient supportively with 
those same agents that you would use for asthma or reactive air disease. And we had promptly called Poison Control to help us. Poison Control essentially sent over an info sheet saying that uh, likely this was chlorine gas exposure and that really most common symptoms that occur are respiratory and that we should provide supportive care for this. In the meantime, we were also providing the patient with positive pressure ventilation with BiPAP. And after about an hour or so, a patient actually recovered quite well and he was asking to leave the emergency department. So listening to this clinical case, I hope that this was an interesting one for you. And I wanted to talk to you about some of the learning pearls from this case and what you can do to make sure that if you do have a presentation of acute airway distress, that you don't forget toxic agents as a potential differential. To give you a little information about chlorine gas in terms of the mixture of bleach and vinegar, as you may know, bleach and vinegar are very common household cleaning agents. And it's interesting because I remember in high school where one of my teachers telling me about this and saying that you should never do this. And as it turns out, it, this is actually one of the most common gas exposures that happen in households. And so this is something that all emergency physicians should be aware of. The mixture of essentially a base and an acid creates a gas that irritates mostly mucous membranes and your respiratory tract. And based on the amount of exposure and the time of exposure and how long you're exposed to, depends on how severe the symptoms are and, and also the variance of the symptoms itself. The most common symptom and would be presence of respiratory distress. And this could be due to most commonly non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema, as well as reactive airways. And you can get kind of a chemical pneumonitis from this as well. Additionally, because it's such a irritant to mucous membranes, the most common one you may get is eye uh, irritation. So people may get blurry vision or excessive tearing. If it's an extreme amount of gas exposure for especially a prolonged amount of time, you may get actually blindness as well as even upper airway irritation leading to strider. So something to really be aware of in terms of how much exposure and how long this person has been exposed to. As all emergency things go, the initial treatment is always ABCDEs. Additionally, the really the main thing is oxygen support as well as early bronchodilator use. Secondly, as with all toxic exposures, decontamination with universal decontamination fluid, which is essentially water, and also taking the clothes off in any exposures would be important to do so. The likely chance that physicians and healthcare workers being exposed to the chlorine gas uh, once a patient arrives in the emergency department is quite low considering the nidus of the gas is not present. But that being said, proper PPE use should be used. Keep you as healthcare practitioners keep safe. The initial treatment, like I said, is usually bronchodilators, but uh, if it gets worse, using positive pressure ventilation, as well as making sure that you provide eye irrigation and any other exposure irrigation would be helpful to help decontaminate this patient. There is some use of other things like nebulized lidocaine or steroid use or even nebulized sodium bicarbonate, but the evidence for these is quite mixed and, and limited. Patients with mucous membrane exposure to chlorine require copious irrigation with saline, such as any chemical exposures that you do with eyes and consider ophthalmologic consultation for these patients with significant ocular involvement. In terms of disposition, we should consider admission and observation for patients who have had large concentrations in an enclosed environment, patients with underlying respiratory cardiovascular disease and high comorbidities, children, as well as people with severe symptoms.
Anyways, those are some important pearls for chlorine gas. And I just wanted to share that case with you, considering that for me, the initial presentation of this patient was quite scary. <laughs> for me, kind of figuring that patient out using essentially history and making sure that you have a bit of a wide differential for patients, especially if they don't have any underlying comorbidities or exposures to things like common things like smoke, really helped me dissect the case and try to figure out what that was. And it ultimately led to diagnosis and prompt treatment of this patient. To summarize, chlorine gas exposures are one of the most common household toxin exposures that can happen and so all emergency physicians should have some knowledge in terms of treatment and identification of this presentation, making sure that when they see respiratory distress, their differential should be wide and toxin exposure should be a potential one that they should be aware of. Chlorine gas mainly affects your respiratory but also mucous membranes and that early identification, ABCDE support, as well as using oxygen and bronchodilators, as well as decontamination would be key making sure that for all toxin exposures, you should call poison control and consider admission for patients with severe symptoms as well as comorbidities. Anyways, hope this was helpful. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Residence Corner, where you will learn about some of the awesome work that our McMaster Emerge residents have been up to. Hey folks, welcome back to Resident Corner. My name's Lauren, and I'm one of the PGY1s here at Mac. And today, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with one of our PGY3 residents, Dr. Jada Fitzpatrick. Dr. Fitzpatrick has been a fierce wellness advocate since the onset of her training here in Hamilton, and has recently taken her work national, joining forces with other prominent physicians to explore the landscape of physician wellness and burnout across the country. Dr. Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for having me, Dr. Beals. A lot of physicians came across the paper you published in CGEM last year entitled Emergency Medicine, Physician, Burnout, and Wellness in Canada Before COVID-19, a National Survey. Can you tell us a little bit about this study and how it came about? Certainly. Um, our wellness and burnout study is actually a study helmed by Dr. Roderick Lim. He's a staunch wellness advocate and the Cape Wellness Committee chair. The goal of our survey was actually to establish data on Canadian EM physician burnout rates as a springboard for action, knowing in other countries, burnout rates have been established as quite high and that this is quite consequential for our field. Incidentally, right as the survey responses were wrapping up, the world was hit with the COVID-19 pandemic. The study team quickly recognized the implications that this pandemic could have on physician mental health and burnout rate. So now this data serves not only as a description of burnout rates of EM at that point in time, but also as a baseline before the powerful impact of COVID-19. In terms of what we actually found, largely it's a sad picture. 86% of practicing EM physicians surveyed met at least one criteria for burnout, and moderate to severe depression rates in EM physicians screened were three times higher than those of the general population, with those who have depression 43 times more likely to suffer from burnout. Dr. Lim leaves our conclusion with a call to action for government, hospital, and organizational levels to support physician mental health during and after the pandemic. Which is certainly something I think anyone reading that paper would want to get behind. I definitely think you achieved the objectives that you were looking for, uh, really painting this concerning but realistic picture of the challenges that emergency physicians are grappling with. Absolutely. 
Now, this wouldn't be a conversation about wellness if we didn't mention the impacts of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. I think it goes without saying, like you mentioned, the additional stress that the pandemic has created for our frontline staff has been pretty immense. As someone who has spent the last few months rotating through emergency departments in the ICU, what advice would you have for physicians trying to maintain their own wellness under such challenging circumstances? I wish I had a one-size-fits-all recommendation. I do have to acknowledge the privilege I've had in being able to retreat to my home after work and enjoy the company of my partner and cats and my plants, while some are actually isolating solo. I don't think it can be said enough that the demands of frontline work are immense and that in unprecedented times, it really is okay to not feel okay. What we do about that feeling next is important. For me, I've been giving myself permission to completely ignore the world for a while. Uh, I've been gaming a couple hours straight sometimes and not really guilting myself that much afterwards. For others, maybe their escape is physical activity or making some seriously impressive sourdough. But when those de-stressing methods aren't working out, I really want to know that we can rely on one another to watch out for those signs of burnout in each other and support seeking help or stepping away from the fray when we need to take care of ourselves. We have myriad data showing that even before COVID-19, burnout was all too common. And I hope that feeling less alone in experiencing these emotions will help us reach out to one another all the more to get through this together. An excellent point to keep in mind. Thank you so much for coming by and chatting with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks again for listening to Mac Emerge Podcast. Before you go, I just want to tell you quickly about a new project that the Joint Divisions of Emergency Medicine have worked on over the past two years called the DIY or Do-It-Yourself Mentorship Playbook. This project is a joint project from our CPD or Containing Professional Development team and Program for Faculty Development Committees to help new faculty members to transition successfully into practice. Additionally, it gives tips on how to be an effective mentor to junior staff physicians and how to facilitate high quality encounters. This DIY playbook is available as an ebook for a small price at the online McMaster campus store. The links will be provided in the show notes, but please check it out if this is something that you think will benefit you and your department. Thanks again, everyone. Make sure to stay safe and stay masked. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. We hope that this brings you new information and helps you up your game so you can deliver better patient care to our region. Remember, we are always looking for new talent and expertise to feature in our podcast. So if you're interested, please feel free to contact us at our email at macemergepodcast at gmail.com. We're also looking to improve your experience, so please submit your feedback as well. Again, thanks for listening. Let's all stay connected. Mac Emerge out!